0: Welcome to our podcast. The following episode originally aired as a video. You can find all our video episodes at www.thebreakthroughshow.com.
1: Life gives us moments when we
2: have the opportunity to make a choice, and what we choose has the potential to change our
1: lives forever. Join us now for another inspired episode of The Breakthrough. And now, please welcome the creator and host of the show, Jessica
0: Dugas. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Breakthrough Show. This is season four, episode two, and I'm your host, Jessica Dugas. I am thrilled to be back with you today. We have an incredible show lined up for you. I have an awesome guest who is brand new to the Breakthrough Family, Ori Spado, the Hollywood Mob Boss is here with me today. But first, I wanna talk to you about a hot topic. So as we've been talking about for several weeks in the world, there has been so much going on um, and it's easy for us to go down the rabbit hole with things, right? It's easy for us to um, find the things that are wrong, to point out what we disagree with, to uh, to to go to a place that doesn't serve us on many different levels. And I think one of the things that I have always implemented in my personal practice, who I've talked to clients about, um, and, and, and what I think the world needs more of right now is simply gratitude. It's just gratitude and it's something that it seems like it's so simple that it can't be worth it, that it can't be, um, that it that it's not going to be something that's effective or really going to help us as much in our lives and i just it's one of those things that if that's how you believe it we're just going to have to agree to to disagree and i encourage everyone to to implement some sort of gratitude practice in their lives. Now, maybe you're listening to the show and you're saying, you know, I don't do that. It's not like I don't know what that would look like for me. I don't like to write. I don't like to do those things. And I think the issue is we have a lot of um, preconceived notions about what a gratitude practice should look like um, or how it's effective. And so I wanted to, for our hot topic today, share with you guys a little bit about what that looks like in, um, in my life and, um, and how it's helped me, how it's helped my clients, and just some little tips that you can take with you that can help you right now. So my first tip would be to just do it. Um, you don't have to write you don't have to write a gratitude practice. There are no gratitude police. There's no one that's going to come and say, you're not doing it right. (laughs) You're not being thankful correctly. No one's going to do that. Um, And so that's my first thing is just to do that. Do it. Despite anything that I tell you, despite anything that any other experts tell you about gratitude and having a gratitude practice, I say first and foremost, just do you and just do it in a way that it looks right for you. Whether it's a written practice, whether it's simply having that gratitude or prayer time when you wake up in the morning or before bed, whether it's expressing gratitude through action, which I'm going to talk more about in a minute. Um, However that looks like for you, just do it. So that's number one. Number two, I think it's very good to expand on gratitude. So for those of you that have a written gratitude practice, one of my favorite parts of my practice is including a because, and I'll share with you why. In our gratitude practice, it's really easy to be general and to say, I'm thankful for food. Again, if that works for you, I'm not knocking it. But I always suggest to people to put a because, because it can expand on our gratitude. It can make us think of more and more and more and more and more things to be grateful for. So where we might say, I'm grateful for food, how about I'm grateful for food because it nourishes my body? And then we think, but wait, I'm also grateful for food because it tastes good. I'm also grateful for food because it brings my family together. We have dinners together. And then you could say, well, I said I'm grateful for food because it tasted good, but I'm grateful for Italian food because it reminds me of my grandmother. And I'm grateful for um, Mexican food because there's a really amazing Mexican restaurant down here that I love to go on date night with my husband with. So it just, it makes you start thinking of more things. It, It allows you to understand how expansive the world is and just how many things you have to be grateful for. My number three tip is, like I mentioned a few moments ago, is putting action to your gratitude. So if you are saying, I am grateful for my electronics because it allows me to watch the breakthrough show every week, you can put action behind that. And as you are thinking of this gratitude, you could dust your computer keyboard. You could clean your computer monitor. You could wipe down your cell phone if you watch it or listen on a cell phone. And it really helps us to put gratitude in motion because a lot of times we might say that we're thankful for something, but our actions might say differently. And so the actions that we take while we are thinking or writing of gratitude may Help us to to feel it even more, to have a new level of gratitude, and the experience itself of taking action gives you something else to be grateful for. So it's really a beautiful space to be in, um, this space of gratitude, because the world is going to go on around us. We're not always, and we know this from the Breakthrough Show. We're not always going to have the best of times in our lives there will be struggles, there will be breakthrough moments that we think I didn't ask for this, (laughs) you know? And there will be times that will try us and will challenge us, but we always have the choice to look at the situations that we're in and find things to be grateful for. And I think even those of us that My hope is, at least, that those of us that have regular gratitude practices, things that we practice each and every day, that what I've shared with you today can help you take that practice to the next level or reinstate your practice at minimum um, and and spend some more time being grateful. We're going to be back in just a minute with our first guest of the season, Ori Spado. Hey, thanks for watching or listening to this episode of The Breakthrough Show. This spot this spot you're listening to right here was made just for you. We are currently looking for sponsors and friends of the show, and it's super easy to ask for more information. Simply send an email saying more sponsor info to business at the or click the link in our show notes to send a message to our Facebook page. We can't wait to partner with you. And now back to the breakthrough show. Welcome back everybody to the Breakthrough Show. My special guest today is the author of the acclaimed autobiography, The Accidental Gangster, where he tells his true story of being the underdog from New York, to persevering through all of life's obstacles, to becoming one of the most respected gangsters in Hollywood, to spending 62 months of his life in federal prison. I'm so thrilled to have him here today to share about the breakthrough moments that led him to turning his life around. Everybody, please welcome to the show, the Hollywood Mob Boss, Mr. Ori Spado. Ori, welcome welcome, and thank you for being here with me today.
1: Thank you, Jessica, it's my pleasure.
0: Awesome. I, I was so excited to uh, meet you today. I was listening to some Frank Sinatra before you came on to get, oh, yeah. in, to get in, the, in the groove and the vibe of, of Ori. So um, before we dive into your incredible story, I would love for you to start off by sharing with us um, something that's bringing joy to your life right now. Share a little bit of joy in Ori's life. Well,
1: there's so many positive things that are happening now in my life. Uh, But the most joy is uh, obviously my children and my grandchildren that I'm very grateful for. And family is very important. And one thing that I tried to accomplish as a divorced father was remain close with my children. And I think I've done that.
0: I love that. I, I know that um, we have a lot of parents that watch the shows. I'm a mom as well. And, um, and I love that, that the children are what brings you joy, even as you get older and continue to bring the joy. Because we think, you know, sometimes little kids and babies bring us joy. But I love that. I love that when they're older, they're still going to bring me joy, too. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so you have had such a colorful history and I don't want to give away too much because, um, as I mentioned, Ori has written a book called The Accidental Gangster and It is. It has been, I was sharing before we came on today, it was such an entertaining read that even my husband, who's not a big reader, was so entertained and enjoyed the book so much. So I don't wanna give too much of that away. But if you would just take us back just for a few moments and share with us a little bit about what were you like growing up? I'm gonna assume that as you were sitting around, uh, you know, Sunday gravy with your family, that you weren't sitting there going, I want to be a mob boss when I grow up.
1: (laughs) Never, never, uh, never entered my mind. I grew up in a very good family. Uh, There were six children. I was the middle child. We lived in a duplex home. My grandparents lived next door and my uncle. I was born and the war was just ending when I was born but all my uncles were in the war and in those days when you had a child in the war you flew the flag in front of your house. My grandfather flew four flags all of his children, all his boys were in the war. we had a shed and we built a door and for the winter time. And my mom cooked for not just her family, but I mean, it was all her family, but for my grandfather and all my uncles. So we had a big dinner table every evening. My father worked to revere copper and black rice, and he made $35. A week those day. Mm-hmm. We had a large family to eat. Uh, we had a big garden. I'm the one who had this faded. Uh, we were eating organic food before people knew what organic <laughs> was. I love that. You know my mother canned and we stored it and uh, you know so Uh, with very little money, we did, my mother was able to do good things, cooking, so we did eat. Uh, it was a great childhood, Rome, I was born in a little town called Rome, New York. Uh, it's in upstate New York, it was really a great little city in those days, it was an actual city uh yeah I' got a lot of fun- fond, fond memories of uh wrong New York,
2: yeah I
1: never liked the winters, <laughs> <laughs> never really did,
0: yeah. yeah. I know yes. that's something that pe- some people you can I, I miss the winter a little bit living down here in the south because it's so warm all the time like we don't have a clear it's winter time now <laughs> kind of weather so I miss it a little bit but I know that people that um, that live in the snow all the time. I have many friends in Canada who are just over it by this point.
1: No. And anyways I was brought up by a, a, a tender wolf free academy. At the age of eighteen, I joined the u s Army, mm. and that was probably the best three years of my life. Mm. Uh, because in the Army, you learn discipline, you learn loyalty, you learn allegiance to the flag, and you learn more things in the military. you know people like to speak about the mafia with America mm. Well, I'm going to tell you when they run a secret clearance, you're you're given a secret clearance for the United States government. That's a very serious thing. Yeah. And it's something <laughs> that you will always honor.
0: Right, right. The
1: day you die.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I was fortunate, had three great years of the service. And then upon my release, uh, my dad was ill. I, I wanted to stay here in California, and my dad was ill. I went back. My dad said, "You should have stayed in California." Mm-hmm. I said, "He said there's nothing here for you." And I, uh, I said, "Well, Dad, uh, give me a job over I'll work the night shift. I'll save all my money." And I'll go back to California. Now working the night shift was not for me. <laughs> when I got my paycheck, I went out and I spent the five first I always gave my parents uh money, mm-hmm. you know, every week. Uh it was just uh something that we children did that back in those days.
0: Right. right.
1: Uh And then the rest of the money I just spent and uh, went to a couple other jobs and then I ended up as a salesman for the Prudential Insurance Company. Mm. And it was something that came very natural to me. I loved the insurance business. I was doing a lot of good for people. Uh, I became a member of the Million Dollar Roundtable. I became extremely successful in the insurance business.
2: Wow.
1: And uh, my ex-wife and I, who were so close friends, we discussed it. If, uh, I'll, I'll use the word, if I were smarter then, mm. I never, never would have left my wife. I would have stayed with the Prudential and more than likely today. I'd be at least a vice president
2: mm.
1: of the. But, you know, life had, or the man upstairs had other ideas for me. Mm. And, uh, yeah.
2: So, it's
1: uh, I'm still here
2: so
0: things so things are going well and you you have served time in the military you've had a great upbringing you're in california and things are going great with your job what in the world between that and becoming the mob boss of hollywood how in the world did that did you even get that title how did that happen
1: you know it's all happened by accident i spawned the accidental gangster mm-hmm. Uh, What happened, Uh, after the Prudential Insurance Company, I got my own agency uh, with a company called Franklin United Life, and I was given Onaya and Onondaga Counties in upstate New York as my territory. And one insurance they sold was credit life and accident health on the financing of loans through automobile dealerships. Well, I got all the dealers in those territories, I was growing. And then I was changing it where I was training salesmen in the automobile dealership. I was somebody wanted to come in and pay cash for a car, why they shouldn't pay for cash and finance And I really grown and I couldn't grow my territory anymore. I spoke with the president of the company, who was a great guy, George Grogan and he said "Ori, he said i'm not going to hold you back he says uh, if you want to grow you're going to, have to find another company i guarantee it i endorsed it mm-hmm. and i found the company out of Batter creek michigan there were only four insurance companies uh out of all the insurance companies They sold quite a life in the evening mm-hmm. People alone federal and i became their golden boy mm-hmm. Before you know it, I had over 250 automobile dealers as clients in the state of New York.
2: Wow!
1: And I was doing very well. Extremely well. Mm. And part of the deal with the insurance company was they allowed me the use of the premium to grow my business. So in other words, I was always one month behind in what my Monthly premiums were in those days. It was three hundred and eighty-five thousand a month, and wow. you're talking a lot of money in the yeah. early '70s. And being young, being creative, being very uh, motivated and positive, I wanted to grow more. And I kept thinking of, how could I go national? And one day, my cousin came to me. He was in a real estate business. He, was, uh, he wanted to become an agent for Century 21. And he asked me to review the contract. So I'm sitting in my office, reviewing the contract, and I said, man, this is how I bring my agency national. <laughs> and I put it all together. I needed $12 million. And my friend Frank Russo, uh, a friend of his, Rossby, who uh, was with Dino De Laurentiis. they were filming the Brinks shop in Boston.
2: Mm-hmm. We
1: went there, we sat with the people who did the Brinks shop and all the actors, Peter Paul, uh James Casavattis, and uh, and Ross said, Dino would love this. So then Frank and I flew to Los Angeles here, met with Dino DeLorentis, and then I arranged for downtown LA Motor where I brought Dino down. We did a demo of how my things worked in an automobile dealership and Mm -hmm. while i was doing that one of my agents was taking out my secretary and went out with my accountant and his girlfriend they got drunk and my accountant thought because my agent was close to me that he knew everything (laughs) and he let him know about the deal i had with the insurance company Mm -hmm. this guy tried to extort the insurance company saying, if you don't give me the agency, I'll report you to the New York State Insurance Department. Mm. Thus, now they're nervous because they don't want to lose their license because they had another guy who wrote the credit life in a A&H for banks. And New York State's a big state for that.
2: Right.
1: So they called me. I tried to raise the money. I couldn't, one thing went to another, and I ended up, nothing happened for four and a half years. By that time, I was remarried, living in San Francisco, and i on my way moving to Los Angeles. Four and a half years later, I get a call from my lawyer that I was indicted.
2: Mm.
1: I said, for what? What did I do? He said, "Mail fraud. I said, fraud, what did I do? Where's the fraud? I said, He said, well, because the dealers were mailing them off the report. I said, that's standard business. Mm. <laughs> but it was fraud 11 accounts of it, 55 years in prison. Wow. So I had to fight that case. I ended up getting five years probation on that, Mm -hmm. my first indictment ever. In addition, my insurance license was taken away from me from the government. I had to earn a living. I ended up out here in Hollywood. And through Dino De Laurentiis, Ralph, they introduced me to studios, producers, agents. I became fairly well known, and uh, I became known as a Hollywood fixer.
2: Mm-hmm. I was
1: good, and I contributed me with my training and my learning of the insurance business that I was able to sit down, settle disputes in a nice manner with no gun or anything, just trying to explain to people what's right, what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how that began.
2: Mm.
1: And then through the years, I met Frank Costello, I met Meyer Lansky, Carlo Marcello, and then Sonny Franchet. And Sonny Franchet is the guy that I ended up being friends with for over 40 years. Uh, until passing last night
0: mm. it's really it's really um very very interesting timing that i i wasn't aware of a lot of things in this world and as i've been preparing for you to come on the show today i i've done a lot of looking up and and that was one name that i really looked into and um so the the synchronicity of him of him passing today is really really interesting and, and I. Um, I, I really, I'm so sorry for your loss because I know what it, I, I can't imagine really what it, what it, um, feels like when you've been friends with the 40 years is a long time. <laughs> it's a long time to, to have that kind of friendship, um, with someone. So
1: in today's world, having a friend for 40 years is unholy. Right. Right. Uh, but you know, I'm going to tell you something funny. I had the feeling he was gonna pass away. I mm-hmm. got in the last two months I could tell the decline when I was talking to him.
2: Right.
1: And all of a sudden he used to be up. I mean he had his whole mind the day he died. <laughs> but he I'd call, it'd be six AM here and nine there. He'd get on the phone, hey buddy, how you doing? And so forth. And then you got a little illness, urinary tract infection, and anyway, he passed away last night. But last, I read every night, I still read. Mm-hmm. And I read it, I'm reading a Daniel Silva book right now. I like Daniel Silva, because his books are like fiction and nonfiction. Uh, so it's mm. like an education also.
2: <laughs> I closed the book at page
1: 103. Wow. And that that point, I thought about Sonny, and I knew he was going to pass. And I woke up this morning, 4.15, I had a text. I mm. made a couple other calls, confirmed it.
0: Um, i would imagine that being being friends with someone for that long you'd have that sort of sixth sense that you you just know you know what's going on with each other and and i i love that 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 happened with you as well and you just sort of knew and um and uh i'm wishing you lots of lots of peace as you sort of you know navigate this over the next little while and um and and i know that um, he I'm sure is thrilled about you telling your story and 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 all of that as well so it's uh it's it's really interesting though with with timing of with the timing of things and how we just know yeah yeah so you're you're doing all this stuff in Hollywood you're the Hollywood fixer you're the one that everyone comes to uh, time goes by now you you did do, you, you ended up being indicted um, and arrested later on um, and spe- spending 62 months in federal prison. And it was called a RICO indictment. Is that correct?
1: Pardon?
0: Is it called a RICO indictment?
1: Yes, RICO. Racketeering what, what does that mean? Racketeering influence, Corrupt Organization.
2: Hmm.
1: And in my opinion, and many others, it's uh it's illegal
2: mm.
1: and even the guy who wrote that there doesn't know how to undo it mm. uh we studied this while we were in prison uh it's what they married Giuliani or Giuliani when he was the u s attorney he started it in New York mm. using that there uh for the mafia figures. And it's the charge, you can be charged with a conspiracy, that's one thing, but then you get charged with a RICO conspiracy. Mm. So you can go to trial and actually beat the actual charge, but they can still invite you, still give you time. Uh, Puerto Rico which is from zero to 20 years
2: Mm.
1: and that's why our prisons are full and they've been using that there and I think it's wrong yeah I know that you I I wrote the letter the president of the letter Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and I sent him my book because I I thanked him for what he was doing, in prison reform and other things that I thought he was doing good in, mm. and uh, I just got to think back from him yesterday.
0: Oh, nice!
1: Got <laughs> yeah, a nice nice thing. I'm going to have Frank thanking me for it and so forth with his thing this year. So, uh, but a lot more has to be done in prison reform.
0: Right. Right. Uh, uh,
1: because we house more people in the United States than the rest of the countries combined. Mm. And I'll give you an example. I did 62 months. I got 60 months for a 924C, which was a gun charge.
0: Mm. Wow.
1: And when the judge sentenced me, he said, Mr. Spadel, on the gun charge, my hands are tied by Congress. I have to give you 60 months. If it was not an act of Congress, I know I would have gotten released for time served. Mm-hmm. Last June, the US Supreme Court found that there illegal and unconstitutional, and that it should be vacated. Wow. I, I already did my time.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. my My husband and I watch a lot of um a lot of shows about people in prison and and things like that. and and um, there's one particular show that we were watching where a person had done years, years and years and years of time, and then it found they found him to be um, not guilty. And so it's like, but what happens to all that time that you spent in there? So I think that that you're right, that there's a lot of reform that still needs to be done. And I know a lot of people um, will agree with you on that. I want to ask you, um, the moment that you were arrested, that moment that they came to your home and arrested you, did you know that that was a moment then that you needed to turn your life around or did that come later on? Did that realization come later on?
1: That came later on because when they first arrested me and they showed me with what they were charging me with,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I laughed at them and I said, I'll be out by dinner time. <laughs> and I did not know that I was part of a RICO indictment out of Brooklyn, New York. Right. Until they brought me up into the courtroom and my local attorney uh, came and had the indictment. So I got actually invited to Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you something. It's like, even some of the guys in Brooklyn who were on my life, they said, fatal. you should have never been on this in life. Mm. And I should not have been. Mm. First of all, the two crimes that they say took place never took place. It's a conspiracy again. Mm. People talking. They both happen in Los Angeles. Oh, well, I've resided in Los Angeles for well over 40 years. This is my home. This is where my peers are. Mm. My peers are not in Brooklyn, New York, which I do think helped me a little bit. Right. Uh, What turned me around was being in prison and seeing the turmoil that my children had to go through mm-hmm. with their father being in prison. And if it were not for my children, there was maybe only two other people that were putting money in my commissary. Mm-hmm. But you gotta hang your commissary in prison. Okay. My children were there, they supported me. My son and my nephew picked me up when I got out of prison. And I made a promise to my children that I would never go back to
2: prison.
1: Mm. I don't want nothing to do with what we refer to as the life in the mafia. And I'm out of it. I don't want anything to do with it or its people. Mm. I don't have nothing bad to say about the people, because I found a lot of good people in there. Mm. I don't want to be around it. And I keep my word to my children.
0: Right. I I love that because I think so often I think about times in my life where I've really been um, struggling or having a difficult time, and 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 it's been the same thing. Promises that I've made to my children that we're gonna, I'm gonna get through this, and we're, I'm gonna get through because they're they're such an inspiration to me um, to to live the best life that I can. So I love that that was the case with you,
1: you know, as well. Do. One thing that I'm sure you read in my book, because I mentioned a couple of times. Mm -hmm. If my book keeps one young man Mm -hmm. from getting involved in a life or a gang, or getting in trouble, then writing the book was well worth it. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want the youth to think that what they see on TV and everything, they make it glamorous and glorified. It is Mm -hmm. nothing like that. Mm -hmm. You have to live your life always looking behind your shoulder. There's no way to live a life. And the law enforcement in today's world, you're going to get caught. Mm -hmm. So I advise the youth of this country, get a trade, go to college, do the right thing, because it's the right thing to do. Mm
0: That, that's amazing advice. And I, and I think it's, it's, um, so, so good that you are, uh, sharing that message now, even though, you know, you've been clear about, I I don't think I should have been, I don't think I should have been indicted. I don't think I should have been in prison, but you're still saying, look, you know, my, my life hasn't been perfect and, and you need to, to do better with your life. Um, was there any other um so so you've had you've lived such a very a, a colorful life you've known some big name people i was sharing uh with ori before we came on today that i was listening to some frank sinatra to get in the <laughs> to get in the mood for the for the podcast you you got to meet frank right yes i did yeah. And so you got to you you've you've lived a life where you've gotten to meet all of these incredible people. Do you have any um any specific regrets or do you do like Frank says and you look back and you say, I did it my way? You know, what what's your thoughts on that?
1: Well, you know what? I did it my way. I feel like you <laughs> wrote that for me. <laughs> you know Every Italian boy feels that way too.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Frank. I was found to be a gentleman, he was funny. Uh, we spent a lot of time at a place on Westwood Boulevard, Mateo. Uh, he knew me and I said uh, in those days you could, one bar, a part of the restaurant, you could smoke where he had dinner, you could not smoke. So he always would come out, he and I be at the bar and we would smoke and talk. And remember one night when everybody's leaving, and he gives uh, he gives the valet two hundred dollars
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he says, "What's the biggest tip you ever got before?" And he says, hundred dollars sir Frank said, "Well, here's two hundred Frank yeah. said, "Who gave you the hundred he said, "You did, sir." Oh. <laughs>
0: He topped himself. He topped himself. That's awesome. Um, it's funny because, you know, you picture, you picture how people, um, how musicians and actors and uh, people in Hollywood, how they, how they are in real life, you know, off the screen and off their, their songs and music and, um, and i always just had had in my heart that he was he was a good person i grew up with my grandparents who were big um big frank sinatra fans and i just always had it in my mind that he was a good person so thank you for <laughs> affirming that for me <laughs> so tell us quickly about your book um the accidental gangster like i mentioned uh this was a fantastic read i love when i can read something and it's not only informative about you know a story telling a story but that it's entertaining and i was i was thoroughly entertained by this book did you know at any point in your life you know based on the uh, the amazing life that you were living that you were going to write a book or or how did tell us a little bit how that came to be
1: well here again i never dreamed that i would write a book <laughs> but because i'm an avid reader i have been on my license i was a little boy right to this day as i told you i still read
2: mm-hmm.
1: and in prison you know My two main things were reading and walking the yard. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And uh, I read over 300 books while I was in prison. Mm. And walking the yard, you got time, you think. And I often thought, well, you know, because I read, if I wrote a book, what would I think about my life? And I came up with the name The Accidental Gangster. Mm. When I got out of prison, a very dear friend of mine who's also my entertainment lawyer, his name is George Haynes. Uh A lot of people approached me, wanted to do a reality show with me, this and that. And, you know, I've been around this town a long time. I know who, is, who the people are, who really are, and who's not. And so George and I went to Four Seasons, having dinner. He said, he said, you got to write a book. <laughs> I know your story, Ari. You write a book. He said, "We'll get a movie made." George, hmm. I, I never wrote a wrote a book. He says, "Find a writer." And all the writers I know out here in Hollywood are script writers. Right. It's a big difference. So I couldn't find anybody, and I thought about it. I was on supervised release, so. Just still a lot of places I couldn't go and things. I didn't want a chance being violated. No, I just woke up one morning and I started writing my book. Mm. I was a third or better than a third through when I called my cousin back in Rome, New York. He said, there's somebody here who wants to say hello. It was another kid, Tom Burst, that I went to high school with. We're talking, bringing each other up to date. And he says, "Ori, do you remember Dennis Griffin? And Dennis, uh, we went to school with. He said, Dennis is a writer, and he's writing books about things in Las Vegas. I Googled Dennis, and sure as heck, he was a writer. Mm -hmm. I emailed him. He called me right away. And Dennis is my co-writer. And that's how the book was born.
0: I love it. And like I said, everybody needs to pick up a copy of The Accidental Gangster because it is one of the most entertaining books I've read in a long time. Um, And it was good timing. Like we just finished watching The Irishman on on Netflix. Um, I know you've had some thoughts about that as well and sharing a little bit about the difference between real life and Hollywood gangster life. So um, I've seen that on some interviews you've done as well. So um, what's next for you, Ori? What are you just enjoying the success of your book and and your life as it is now or do you have a uh, some some more that you want to do
1: uh, one thing that several people have told me and one thing that I think that I can make happen and I hope that it happens is we're trying to get a TV series off the book hmm. uh, We're working on that I have two writers. Uh, that i writing the pilot and the first season's overview at this time. I've had several producers that have approached me already want to option the book. I will not option the book. Uh, I'll sell my rice if somebody wants to come and pay me a lot of money. Netflix, Amazon, Apple, <laughs> somebody like that. Uh, but... I, I, I'm privileged to be very dear friends with Nick Galeggi, uh, who wrote Goodfellows Casino. And he's a very close friend. He'll be here next week and back in Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, he lives in New York here, uh, so he'll be here a few months. So when they're finished reading or uh, writing the pilot, then Nick will go over it either give it a pass, a thumbs up, or a thumbs down, make what changes are necessary. And then I could turn it over to an agent to sell. Mm. And in Hollywood, I know things, it's a process, things take a long time here. There are no overnight wonders in Hollywood. people in the rest of the country seem to think <laughs>
0: I know. I, well it's interesting too because we have um i have a, a gentleman that's an actor coming on the show later on this season and um and he's out there in hollywood as well and um he is a, also a screenwriter and has a short that he's working on and he wrote it a long time ago but it's right now it's going through all the um the film festivals and things like that. And I said, when am I gonna be able to watch it already? And he's like, it takes a really long time. <laughs> People that have been in it haven't even seen it yet. And I said, well, that would drive me crazy. <laughs> I'm so impatient.
1: <laughs> if you don't realize, the average film takes 12 years. Wow. 12 years. Yeah. You know, you've got all these studios and there's all the glamour and all this air. But when you combine all the studios together, they don't make that many films a year mm. it's the independent producers right. and now you got the streaming services uh and i think someday it's all going to go to streaming.
0: yeah yeah so if you can have if you have a tv show or a movie if you could pick like the person that was going to play you in the movie who would you pick right now
1: tom hardy
0: yeah so I, I can't wait to see it. I hope I really hope that it goes to um, TV and or movie. Uh, my husband and I are big. And that's what we do in the evening when he he works long hours. And when he comes home, we get the Netflix going or something and we watch we watch shows together. So I really hope that that's one that we're going to get to watch here um, sooner than later would be awesome. So yeah. yeah. That'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. Ori, thank you so much for giving us your time today. If you could leave everybody with one thought about a big thing that you learned on your journey or a big aha or breakthrough moment that you've had in your life, what would you leave with everybody today?
1: You mean one of the greatest moments of my life? Yes. The birth of my children. Hmm. Uh, What's better than that? I love it. Not. i love it and to be 75 years old i'd still be blessed with my children calling me texting me and being close to them
2: mm-hmm.
1: what else is there in life
2: true you know,
1: it's not how much money you got in life because at the end of the day money's not that important
2: mm-hmm.
1: it provides us for the necessity that we need but if we don't have the family together We got nothing. Mm.
0: I love it. I love it. Focusing on family, bringing it back to family—that's what's important to me here too. So thank you so much for sharing that part of your life with us, Um, and thank you for giving us your time today. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. And uh, guys, make sure you check out the Accidental Gangster, and we know we're going to be watching a show or a movie or something. Um, And but but get the book. It's on Audible as well. So if you're not a reader, um, I have it on Audible. That's how I listened with my husband and. It's like you can close your eyes while you're listening to the story, and you can picture it. You can you can see it, and I love how real it is and um, entertaining. So make sure you guys check that out. Ori, thanks so much for being here with me Thank today. You very much,
1: Jessica. All right. You too. Thank you, everybody, God bless.
0: To find out even more about Ori's life and to purchase your copy of *The Accidental Gangster*, be sure to visit the links in the show notes. And we'll be back in a moment with more of the Breakthrough Show. We hope you've been enjoying The Breakthrough Show. If you're someone who is an inspirational entertainer or has an incredible story of breakthrough, we want to hear from you and maybe even have you on the show. Be sure to visit the links in our show notes to send us an email or connect with us on social media. We hope to see you on a future episode of the show. And now back to The Breakthrough. Welcome back to The Breakthrough Show. I loved my time with Ori today. And I hope that you enjoyed his interview as well. As I mentioned at the start of the show, Ori's interview today is one that really had me thinking about a lot of things. And one of those things is about judgment. And, you know, there are a lot of true crime type Uh, shows and and movies on tv about things that have actually happened and it's really easy for us to watch uh watch those as spectators saying they should have done this or this is what kind of person they are and my time with Ori really opened my eyes to that people aren't always what we assume what we assume they are, who they, who we assume they are, and that it's really easy to get caught in, up in our own judgment about how people are and how they live their lives. And one of the things I've been really committed to on this season of The Breakthrough is looking for the commonalities between the guests on the show and myself. I think that's honestly a really... Not just a fun way to live life but um, but a way to live life that brings us together rather than separating us and one of the things that Ori and I have very in common, aside from the Italian thing, aside from uh, having conversation about uh, Sunday dinner with the family, whether it's now we called it we called it growing up Sunday sauce, not Sunday gravy but we still, we're still connected. You're still okay, Ori. And um, so th- it's always fun to find those commonalities. But th- in addition to the Italian thing, um, one of the biggest things that Ori and I have in common is our, fa- our the love of our family. And that, that being such a catalyst in our lives for how we can do better. And how we can make our lives better and if we should make our lives better. And it's really been a balance for me over time to determine how much time should, like, should I be doing everything I want to do in my life, regardless of anybody else, or should I be doing things that are making other people happy? It, it's it, for me. My life has been about finding that, follow, finding what that balance looks like for me, of following my heart and my dreams, and but also doing what's best for my family. Um, and, and figuring out what that looks like. Um, and I, and I feel like from Ori's story that, that that's kind of what he's had to come to in his life as well, that it's been a matter of, you know, I, I'm doing my own things, but I also want what's best for my family too. And I love that we have had that in common. Um, I really am so thankful for the time that I got to uh, spend with Ori as well because of the story he told about Frank Sinatra. Now I mentioned on the show that I grew up with my grandparents and they were huge fans of Frank Sinatra and I think you always you always hope that someone's going to be a certain way and um, especially in the celebrity world, you, you hope that they're going to be a certain way and when you find out that they did actually have a good heart, that they were good people. It's such a uh, fun and refreshing feeling to hear stories like that. So I'm so thankful for that as well. I want to thank my guest today, Ori Spado, the Hollywood Mob Boss, and encourage you all to pick up his book, The Accidental Gangster. You can buy it online. You can click the links in the show notes and um, make sure you get your copy of that as well. All right, guys, that's the end of episode two, season four of The Breakthrough Show. And we're going to be back next week with my guest and my friend, Sherry Goodall, who uh, is an incredible entrepreneur and she has such resilience in how her business and her life has evolved over time and how the two have sort of played together. I can't wait for you to hear from her and also hear about the amazing retreat that she has coming up. So until next week, you guys, I'm Jessica Dugas and make every day a great day for a breakthrough. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Breakthrough. Please visit our website at www.thebreakthroughshow.com and be sure to join our After the Breakthrough community powered by Patreon. We look forward to seeing you next
2: week. Same time, same place for another inspiring episode.